because if you got water in your engine and it freezes, it will crack the block of the engine. Problem is with the 2013 E-Tech, you don't get clean fuel to them or you get a batch of bad gas. It does take someone with a laptop in order to change out the injectors. Don't fill it up with That's the biggest thing that you're trying to avoid when talking about winterizing your boat. It's getting to be that time of year again. And for some of you, it's already been that time of year which I'm talking about winterizing your boat, which is extremely important that you do this if you live in an area that gets below 32 degrees Fahrenheit or zero degrees Celsius. This just basically means that you need to get the water out of your engine because if you got water in your engine and it freezes, it will crack the block of the engine. Um, there's a lot more to it than just that, but that's the biggest thing that you're trying to avoid when talking about winterizing your boat. When it comes to winterizing, it's pretty much um, the engine side. You want to get all of the water out of the block. Uh, a lot of areas, what you do is you take some antifreeze and you are going to run the engine with antifreeze opposed to water. You drain all of your cooling system and then you put antifreeze into the engine, which is basically running antifreeze through the cooling system. So what you're going to do is you want to, first of all, fresh water flush the engine. When we do that, we're going to be running the engine on the hose, which is going to fresh water flush everything. And what we're wanting to do at the same time is we want to fog the engine. And basically that just means that you're going to squirt fogging oil into the intake of the engine, which is going to allow the fogging oil to basically coat everything on the intake side of the engine, which the fogging process is going to coat the engine with fogging oil. You're going to be coating the intake, um, the intake manifolds. You're going to be coating the combustion chambers, your pistons, your rings, the valves. Everything's going to get coated with oil by running this fogging oil through the engine. All you really do is turn the engine on. It's freshwater flushing because it's running on the hose and you're squirting the oil into the intake. So that way the engine is burning that oil and then coating everything with that fogging oil. You're going to just basically run that fogging oil through the engine until you see a lot of smoke come out of the propeller or out of the exhaust. And that's going to let you know that everything has now been coated in the fogging oil. Once you get it fogged, now you can turn the engine off and we're going to want to drain the fuel system, meaning if it's carbureted, you want to crack the drain screws on the bottom of the carburetors to get any of the fuel that's out of the carburetors out, or the VST, if you got a VST, you're going to drain the VST, which has usually got a little rubber hose somewhere to it, and that is going to allow all the fuel to drain out. You just don't want any ethanol fuel sitting in that engine for seven months while the engine just sits there. That way you can avoid any issues of water buildup, sludging, stuff like that. Now you can put a stabilizer in the fuel. Uh, you can get yourself some non-ethanol fuel, get yourself some stabilizer, uh, and then run that through there. And that'll be another way of, you know, making sure you don't have fuel that's sludging up the VST, your fuel pump and all that stuff. Or another way, what some people will do is they will get Avgas, which is aviation fuel, and just run the engine on Avgas to 
prolong the life of the fuel. You just don't want ethanol fuel sitting in your fuel system, especially your injectors and your VST where your fuel pump is for this, you know, seven, eight month period that the boat's going to be stored while it's too cold to use. Now, once you've got the fuel system taken care of, you got the oiling of the system taken care of, and now you've got the engine flushed. The next thing that you're going to want to do is get rid of any water that's in the, in the engine. For an outboard, you just basically trim the engine down, and that's going to allow all the water to run out of the engine. For an inboard, on the other hand, though, you're going to want to um, take out the freeze plugs. On the bottom of the engine, there's going to be freeze plugs, usually like four or so, like something like that. Take all those out, and then you can also put antifreeze down through your cooling system to flush any water that's in the engine out and basically you know, replace it with antifreeze. But with the freeze plugs out, it should allow you to get all the water uh, and antifreeze actually out of the engine. That way, when it freezes, you, you're, the water's not going to freeze and crack the block, crack a cooling passage or anything like that. Then, well, the next thing that is going to need to be done is you want to check the gear lube on the gear case. Because if you have a leak in that gear case, and let's say that water is mixing with oil, well, if you've got water in your oil in the lower unit, yeah, the water will mix with the oil, but over time, it'll separate. So as the engine is sitting, that lower unit, if it has water in it, that water does not, it's going to freeze. And if it freezes, then it's going to expand. When it expands, it'll crack the lower unit. It'll, you know, mess up the gears. It'll bend, bend stuff. I mean, it's bad. Usually it just cracks the lower unit and that's it. You're done. That lower unit needs to be replaced when you go to use your boat next year. And no one wants to do that. So the best way to do that is check the gear lube. You just crack the drain screw on the gear lower unit. And if it comes out milky or has any water or anything like that, replace the gear lube. That's the best way to do it. This is pretty much the same process for two strokes or four strokes. Uh, in four strokes, a lot of people, what they do is they will just go ahead and do a hundred hour service before they stick the boat away. That way they've got new gear lube in there. So there's no water and also new oil in there. And that basically takes care of any issue that you could have over the storing period of the engine while it's freezing outside. Now, as far as the boat goes, same thing. You don't want any boat, any water sitting in the boat. You can heat shrink the boat or get a cover made that covers the boat. So that way water getting into the boat isn't freezing and causing any issues inside the boat. Another thing you want to take the battery out of the boat and get it stored in your garage preferably, you know, on something, not on concrete, on the concrete floor. I know there's a lot of people that have done myth busters about this, that, and the other about batteries being in cold or on the concrete and all that other stuff. But by and large, just put it on a shelf somewhere, put it on a trickle charger, a little two amp charger. So that way the battery will stay charged throughout the season, mainly because, um, the, the, Number one time that a battery will go bad is when it's sitting. So a battery has charge cycles and a charge cycle is basically a hundred percent charge to zero percent charge. Really a charge cycle for a deep cycle battery is a hundred percent charge down to like 20 or 10% charge and then brought back up. And that's like a charge cycle. On a starting battery, you've got 100% to like 95%. And then it 
charges back up. That's the biggest difference between a starting battery and a deep cycle battery. Now, when it comes to storing the battery or getting letting the battery go all the way down to zero, that's really bad for the battery. If you go from 100% charge and go down to 0% charge, that's really, really hard on that battery. So if you take your battery out of the boat and then you let it sit on the shelf for eight months and it goes down to zero because, I mean, the battery's going to lose its charge over that period of time, that's not going to be good for that battery. You really want to put it on a two, two amp trickle charger just to keep it maintained throughout the winter season or however long your off boating season is. Now in hotter climates, there is also what's called summarizing where basically it's the same thing as winterizing minus the need to run antifreeze and all that kind of stuff through your engine. You mainly just flush and fog the engine and make sure there's no water in the lower unit, not for a freezing purpose, but because you don't want that water sitting on the metal, rusting the gears that are inside the lower unit while the boat is sitting. They call it summarizing because it's not uncommon for in really, really hot climates like South Florida, stuff like that, to be a vacation spot or a seasonal spot for people that live up north and then come down in, in the warmer season. Like, you know, if you live in New York and it gets down to zero or below, a lot of people, when they get older, they don't want to live in that same type of environment. So what they'll do is come January or December sometime, they'll move to South Florida, live there for four months while it's freezing cold in New York. And then after four months, April, May, move back to New York as it warms up, which is a way for a lot of people to extend their boating season as well. So you boat in the north during the summertime and then when it gets gets too cold to boat outside you can go to a south you know texas florida um anywhere south where it's going to be warmer and you can boat all year round so then during the sun during the winter when it's too cold to boat up north you can be in florida boating and stay boating all year round and that's pretty much it for the winterizing you really don't need any kind of special tools or anything like that just normal wrenches sockets, um, oil filter, water separators. Oh, that's another thing, water separator. I didn't see, but uh, go ahead and check your water separator. If it's got water in it, replace it and get any kind of water out of there. Tool-wise, that's it. The drain plugs, you know, regular sockets and wrenches. You're going to be able to get your freeze plugs out, get a can of fogging oil and gear lube. And that's pretty much it. No special tools needed. So don't forget to winterize your boat before the winter because you don't want to have to deal with the problems that a lot of other people have had to do. It's an experience that I would say there's a lot of people that have not experienced it, but they do not want to experience that. So you don't want to have to deal with a cracked block or a blown up lower unit or anything like that, which is going to be the outcome of not winterizing your boat and your engine. And also you don't want to have to pay for a brand new battery in the next year too, because that's super expensive that, you know, it'd be better just to to fill up your tank. Oh, the fuel in the boat. I forgot to mention winterizing the taking care of your fuel. We talked about av gas and the engine and all that, but putting stabilizer in the fuel and also, um, you know, it's a 50 50 on people that want the tank to be completely full and people that want it to be completely empty. So, you know, realistically the, the big reason why everybody wants a full tank is because it's less air and less chance of building condensation. So the more 
area or surface or volume, the more volume would be the right word. The more volume of air that you have in the fuel tank is basically more surface area on the sides of the tank where condensation can build up. And if you have ethanol fuel in your tank, that ethanol with the temperature changes and the condensation, it, it basically absorbs moisture and it will absorb the moisture or condensation on the sides of the tank, which will, you know, basically get water in your fuel. So a lot of people will fill their tank all the way up because that's less surface area. But if you do, don't fill it up with ethanol fuel. If you're going to store that boat for eight months or a year, try and get some non-ethanol fuel. Uh, also adding some stabilizer to your fuel to help keep it the octane levels up over that period where the boat is going to be sitting. So now that you've treated your fuel and winterized everything else, now I'm pretty sure that's everything in the winterization. Any bad conditions that you can see are going to be, again, those crack blocks and lower units. It's all from the water freezing that makes it a big problem. And I think I got a couple questions here that we want to go over uh, from D Pereira. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Just wanted to say you guys are awesome. I am purchasing a used Donzi that's coming with two 2013 250 horsepower Evinrudes. I'm concerned because I've heard negative things about the engines and that the company went out of business. Although parts are still available, what is your opinion about the engines and anything specifically based specifically besides compression and service records I should be looking for. They have 600 hours and seem to be well-maintained from what I had, from what he told me, the starters were both changed recently. Um, I mean, that's kind of a, something that's interesting is that why did he have to replace two starters on two separate engines unless one starter went bad and uh, he's like, okay, I might as well just replace both of them. But other than that, you know, a, a 2013 Donzi, I mean, that's a nice boat. The Evinrudes, the 250s, that is probably the biggest split brand that there's ever been. Uh, it's a 50-50. You've got 50% of anybody that's ever owned an Evinrude has been totally happy with it and not had any complaints and no problems, and they've loved it till the day that they got rid of it. And then the other 50% of owners actually absolutely hate the brand. They hate the engines. They hate everything about them. Um, so you're kind of split on it. I'm more of a middle ground kind of person. I've had, I've had Evinrude's Ocean Pro and an Ocean Runner that I've had no problems with. I ran it three times a week and it never gave me any problems. The only downfall to that engine was it drank a lot of fuel and a lot of oil. But outside of that, you know, you're not talking about fix on the on here, so you don't have to worry about that. Then anything else? I mean, 600 hours isn't bad. If the if he says that he hasn't had any problems with the engines, then you're good to go. But at the same time, it's getting there's less and less people that are available to work on the Evinrudes. So if they're running and you really like the boat then, you know, maybe repowering down the road or possibly just running those Evinrudes as long as you can. But one consideration is, is there anybody around there that can work on them? Because they are, like you said, the the company, they don't make those engines anymore and they're, they're not in business. So um, at least not the outboard business like they were. And the dealerships are getting less and less. So service is the only 
problem. The problem is with the 2013, I think you're talking about ETEX at this point in time. So an issue with those are the fuel injectors. If you don't get clean fuel to them or you get a, a batch of bad gas or something like that, then the injectors, if you have a problem with them, they are serialized and it does take someone with a laptop that can hook up to that engine in order to change out the injectors. That's kind of one of the problems. Also make sure that you keep the cooling system cleaned out and that um, it's always peeing because there is water that goes through the computer on the engine. They call it the EMM. If you don't keep that thing cooled, then it will overheat. And then when it overheats, you have to buy a new computer. So those are only the couple things that I can think about that are going to be something that you want to really consider outside of that. I mean, if you really like the boat and everything's running great and he said he hasn't had any problems with the engines, then you should be all right. The engine on a boat is what's concerning to pretty much everybody that's buying a boat. And again, Evan Rude's one of those brands that have that 50, 50 split where people either love them or they hate them. They've either had either had a disastrous relationship or they've had a great relationship, but um, yeah, it's not like a Yamaha or a Mercury, like a Mercury people love them. And then the other people don't Yamaha people, they love the engines. And then, you know, it's only the people that have had a bad experience or they are a Mercury person. Mercury people don't like Yamahas and Yamaha people don't like Mercury. I mean, that's kind of like a brand loyalty thing. It's like a Ford and a Chevy, um, Honda people, Honda, Honda engines. They don't have as many problems they aren't as fuel efficient they're heavy but um it's still a brand that people like them whereas the Avenrude, it's 50 50 people hate them people love them Karanoa, hello love the content been watching for a while now and i have learned a lot i was hoping you had a minute to maybe help me answer a question that i can't seem to find i have a 2002 yamaha f225 and the pin that holds the rod to the engine must have vibrated out a little when I trimmed down, it punctured the top of the fluid reservoir. So I guess we're talking about the ram that goes to the trim unit. From what I have read, it doesn't have any pressure in it. Would I be able to JB weld the whole shut, trying to avoid the 200 plus cost of replacing it? I'll try and attach a video of what I'm talking about. I, I'd really appreciate any help you could give. Thanks, guys. Keep up the, keep up the good work. Um. So he's talking about the reservoir or are we talking about it punctured the top of the fluid reservoir? So, I mean, yeah, you could JB weld that. There isn't any pressure in that reservoir. So it's hard to see what I'm trying to picture what exactly you have a hole in. Um, I mean, yeah, if you're trying to save 200 bucks and you want to try the JB weld route, then by all means, go for it. Take a, um, take something and put it in there though. Like don't just take JB weld, mix it up and then pour it on that hole because it'll leak down inside there. So put like scratch up around the hole and then put something on there. Um, preferably something of the same metallic buildup. Don't put like, I mean, a lot of people put a penny or a dime or something on there, but that's not always the best thing because it's a dissimilar metal, but as long as you put something of similar metal on there, then yeah, put cover the hole so no JB Weld goes down into the, the reservoir and cover that thing with JB Weld and see how long it lasts. I mean, 
if you're trying to save money, there's always a way to save money and things will work. You know, you can make it work. I mean, JB Weld, maybe that'll last you a year. Maybe it'll last you 10 years. So if you got a 2002, you got a 21 year old 3.3 liter F225. So, um, yeah, try the JB Weld. Judging based on what you said, it's, it's, yeah, they're just the reservoir. There's no pressure in there. And yeah, you want to keep water from out of, the, out of there. So, Try the JB Weld, see what happens. And Chip Hill talking about top five main things to look at for when buying a boat. Usually, wiring usually needs redoing too. Yeah, that's um, that's true. <laughs> I mean, most used boats, especially older boats, depending on who's had it, how long they had it, and who's been in there messing with it. Yeah, whenever you buy a used boat, look at the wiring because that could potentially be a big expense and you know, outside of the other five things that we talked about in that video, wiring would definitely be up there. So per herder, it also depends on your means. I just restored an 85, 21 foot trophy. Don't laugh. It was a free boat and trailer with clean titles and it was in great shape. Now it has an outboard and bracket and catches fish. I don't care about the value. I just want to go fishing. So to me, it's priceless. P.S. I'm poor. Yeah. I mean, that's, you, you ain't kidding. So I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. A lot of people will say, Oh, why'd you redo this or redo that? I mean, maybe I mean, just cause you got a boat, like it doesn't have to be the prettiest thing in the world. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the most expensive thing in the world. If you got a bay liner that was given to you with a title and it only took you a little bit to get it going, then at least you're on the water. I think that's, true of a lot of things. I mean, I put way too much time and money into that little 13 foot whaler, the bully netter, but I wanted a bully netter and you can't buy those boats. So to me, it was worth it. And, um, yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent. He also made another comment about, um, in Cali, you don't have a tag. If you don't have a tag on the trailer and you're having trouble getting registered, you can make an appointment with highway patrol slash state troopers and they will inspect it and issue a tag. Last time I did it cost 50 bucks and took about 20 minutes total. Not sure if that's an option where you are at, but it should be considering it's DOT stuff. Um, yeah, even though it is department of transportation stuff for in Florida, I don't think it works like that. But if it did, I mean, that's worth a shot. That's amazing that you can get a tag for something straight from the highway patrol or, or something, I guess in California, I mean, it's a great idea, but I don't think you can in Florida. Will tell, how do you look at stringers if the floor is intact on the boat? So if you're inspecting stringers or inspecting a boat in general, you want to check out the transom, the engine, all that other stuff. You do want to look at the stringers as well. And for the most part, you're going to want to go in the back and the bilge, by the transom, that's usually where they start rotting out because they're back there by the transom. So looking in the back by the transom and knocking on them back there, usually you'll have some access back there. And then the next spot is going to be in compartments or in the console. So a lot of times different type of boats like um, dual console, stuff like that, you'll have compartments in the middle. And sometimes you'll have access to those stringers through those compartments. Or if you look down in a center console, a lot of times you have a way to get down there in the center console to check them. But there's also a lot of boats that are just so packed out that the only place that you can see them 
are in the back. Then again, not every manufacturer is making wood stringers anymore. A lot of the stringers and a lot of the boats are all solid fiberglass stringers. So they don't even, they don't rot out. They're not as much of an issue as they were when you're talking about boats built in the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. I mean, those boats, when we're talking about boats that had wooden stringers, that's a problem that you do need to inspect. Whereas nowadays, any boat made in the past 20 years, by and large, they don't have wood stringers in them. They're either um, glass or they are made out of like kusa or some other material, um, some kind of a foam coring. So they don't rot. And a lot of them are running their rigging tubes through the stringers too. So um, they're not as big of a thing to look at as boats that were built 30, 40, 50 years ago. That's definitely something to look at. And that's basically the only way to check them is wherever you can get access to them. So usually in the back of the boat, in the build, somewhere like that, you'll be able to get to them. But other than that, you can't. You're right. You can't You can't get to them. Mark Wiebner, what if you find a hull with CUSA board in the transom? Is that a safer bet? Or have you ever seen CUSA go bad? Great podcast. Thanks. Um, Yeah. Thank you, Mark. The Kusa. So Kusa, yeah, they don't, it doesn't really go bad depending on how it got put together is mainly the problem that you could see there where if you're talking about something that got put together and it wasn't put together properly, like they didn't put mat in between the two pieces of Kusa or something like that, it'll delaminate. But outside of that, Kusa doesn't go bad. It's a, it's a fiber composite board and it doesn't go bad. The only thing that you can look at is if there's some fiberglass issues with the fiberglass when it was all put together, you could have stuff right there that's going to be a problem. But as far as the Kusa being a problem, I don't think I've ever seen Kusa going bad. So yeah, if you've got a boat that's got a Kusa transom and not a wood transom, yeah, I would say it has more value than the the wood does. Depending on who, who built it, um, I mean, using wood isn't, a bad thing. Last time I did a wood transom was yeah, eight years ago. So I mean, and that boat's still fine. It all depends on who's putting holes in the boat after it's made out of wood. That's your bigger question. Harry now. Hi, you have such a good channel. Thank you for the boats DIY people just like me. Question Can you tell what is the name of the app in your phone, please? R- regards from looks like Espana. Um that was talking about a Yamaha app. I was checking the hours on an engine on my phone. That is actually Yamaha YDIS smart, but that is a dealer product. Like it's, it's a little dongle that hooks to the engine and you can pull up the app, but it's registered to the dealer. So it's a dealer specific tool. And it's not like you can just go to the app store and download that app and now talk to your engine. Um, in the short, you don't have access to it really, unless you've got a dealer that you can use their dealer number and they'll let you buy it and use it. You don't, you can't just buy YDIS smart. Um, I wish you could, that made things a lot easier, but most brands are pretty specific on who they let and what they let people do with their engines. So, um, yeah, not really something that the general public can access, even though it's a sweet tool. I mean, I love using it, but yeah, unfortunately, you can't really get that. Mr. PUBG, yo, your videos are so well made. I'm looking to become a boat mechanic after high school. Well, thank you. I think being a mechanic is a great field, it's a skill, and the 
skill set or the trade industry is definitely suffering all over. So I think there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of money that could be made. If you stick with it, if you're good, if you really apply yourself and put in the work, then there's a great living that you could make out of working on boats. So after high school, yeah, for sure, you should definitely uh, get into working on boats. How to become a mechanic, um, that's a whole other thing. Honestly, the, I think the best route that you should you should go would be to find a dealer that's like a larger dealer and just go get a job with a dealer and get your hands on helping people, studying the mechanics that are there, trying to bring value to the more experienced mechanics and learn all that you can learn because in the skill or the trade industry, I mean, experience is king. So as long as you learn the industry, you're going to, you're going to do great. Dex, the wing zero, you need the chicken feed shaker can. Yeah. For putting on non-skid into gel coat, a little, um, chicken feed shaker can definitely, definitely a good suggestion. I need to get one of those for doing non-skid. Oh no. So this guy, so this guy talking about, um, a video about the only video you must see on how to tie up a boat says he was 15 miles into the Everglades, 10,000 Island region on a canoe, not properly tied up next morning, upside down canoe. So this video is important. Yes, that video is super important. And if you have not seen that video, you should go watch it on how to tie your boat up properly. The only video you must see on how to tie up your boat. Now tides, I mean, 15 miles in the Everglades and in his canoe flips, I guess, and he had probably like a 20 horse or something on it. That's not where you want to be with a boat upside down. Tides changing, going up and down. If you tie your boat up improperly, um, you can get caught under the dock. You can get, you can have the boat, like if the tide goes out and the boat's tied up too tight, it can lean over and then, you know, flip over and fill up full of water. So definitely knowing about the tides and how to tie up your boat. Biggest key and the biggest takeaway in that video. Well, no, there's actually like a bunch of things in that video, but one key thing about tying up your boat is tight lines, but long lines. You want long, tight lines. That's the best way to tie up your boat. That way, the long line is going to stretch and go up and down with the tide, whereas a short line, you've only got this much you know, line. So as it goes down, you're not moving much. So you've only got like six inches of tide, and then boom, your, your, your rope's not going to go. Whereas if you got this much line and say this is 15 feet, 15 feet's going to go a lot and that line's going to stretch and you're going to be able to, the boat's going to be able to go up and down with the tide and still stay tight on the dock. Myron Chamberlain, 7734. My Marine radio keeps saying low battery, but the batteries are new. Well, it sounds like you've got a connection problem. If you have a radio or GPS or something like that, that keeps saying low battery, even though you got brand new batteries, chances are you've got a connection problem somewhere between the battery and the radio, which there's a lot of components in between there. Most of the time, general electrical setup on a boat is going to be from the battery positive going up to a battery switch and then through the battery switch over to a bus bar of some sort that then is going to feed all of your breakers or your fuse panel. And then from the fuse panel, it's going to go up to your switch and then from your switch over to whatever component that is. If your radio's straight up, you know, wired in straight hot. So whenever you turn the battery switch on, all your stuff comes on. 
then that is most likely not going to be the case. It's probably going to go from the battery switch to your breaker panel or your fuse panel, and then out the fuse panel straight to your radio. And then from your ground on the battery, it's going to go up to your ground bar, and then your radio should be tied straight into that ground bar. So most likely you've either got a bad crimp, a bad connection, or a loose connection between the radio, whether that be on the fuse panel, on the breaker panel, on on the battery switch, it could be your, the ground going to the radio, or there's something going on with your radio. But most likely it's just a loose connection, so I would follow the wires from the back of the radio and follow them to wherever they're getting power and ground from and check those connections. If those are all good, then move your way back through the system to figure out where that problem is. Zachary Peters, where does the water go when it's in the cowling? I've always wondered how it got out. Talking about a video about cleaning your engine and um, there's just drains in the cowling. That's it. <laughs> in the belly pan of the engine, there are usually two to four drains or in the back and the front. There'll be little rubber like um, duck bill valves or whatever you call them. Um, those duck bill valves are going to let water out. That's, that's pretty much it. There's just drains in the belly pan. So all the water goes in, goes down and then it'll go out. So not anything too complicated right there. This guy, blah, blah, blur. What is Pookie and Kusa? So Pookie, we are talking about that's in mainly one of the fiberglass videos, probably redoing the bowling netter. If you haven't seen that series, go check that out. But the Pookie is pretty much resin and colloidal silica, which is just like a structural filler. So whenever you're doing fiberglass um, gaps and stuff like that, you can fill with a thickened epoxy or polyester resin mix. That's going to be what we call Pookie. And I only learned that from one of the fiberglass guys there in one of the shops that I've worked at. He just always called it Pookie. So I ended up starting to call it Pookie too. It's just silica and resin and then kusa what kusa is is we just talked about it a minute ago with this guy talking about a boat that has kusa replaced wood and kusa is a fiber composite board it's basically just a wood replacement and it doesn't rot it's really really good material and a lot of boats are being made out of that and a lot of people are using that to replace transom stringers or anything in the boat bulkheads it's a basically it's a wood replacement where it's not a foam core. So you've got like foam coring and you've got like a composite, which is mainly Kusa is a brand. So people call it Kusa board, even though there are different com fiber composite boards, Kusa is just the most popular brand. And so everybody calls it Kusa board, which, I mean, I've only, I've used mainly Kusa opposed to other um, composite boards. So I would definitely recommend Kusa. Uh, that's just because I've used it the most. And yeah, it's great stuff. So that's pretty much going to be it. I think that's enough time for now for this week. If you want to have one of your questions on here, go ahead and email us at askbab at bornagainbody.com or comment on any of our videos. And I'm trying to compile these into um, questions and answers, maybe where I can just, unload all these comments and we can talk about these subjects. Also, we've got the boaters program at bornagainboating.com where there are hundreds of courses and other features with an app that will teach you how to work on your own boat and learn tons about boating. 